Are you guys with us? We know you are. So here's how you can help. First, share this podcast with your friends. We can't grow without you. Second, go to www.dmwpodcast.com and check out our merch site. I guarantee we have some great stuff that you're going to love. And your purchase helps support the show. Lastly, keep on leaving positive reviews and follow on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Deadman Walking Podcast. As always, we appreciate your prayers as we continue to bring glory to God. Exploring theology, doctrine, and all of the fascinating subjects in between, broadcasting from an undisclosed location, Dead Men Walking starts now. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dead Men Walking. I'm your host, Greg Moore, here with my co-host, Jason Hamlin. How are you, sir? How's it going, guys? And guys, I just want to say thank you so much for reaching out to us, uh, sending us questions, leaving us reviews on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, all those places you get your podcast. That really helps with the algorithms to get us more views, uh, advance the kingdom of God, bring him glory. Usually we do a little banter back and forth in the beginning, but we have to get right into it because we have a very special guest today. Oh, yeah. And I know Jason and I were very excited very when he excited. said he would call in. <laughs> on the line with us, we have Dr. Sam Storms. He has a TA from Dallas Theological Seminary, former board member of Desiring God, sits on the Council of the Gospel Coalition, pastor of Bridgeway Church in Oklahoma City. Uh, just the list goes on and on with all his credentials, but Dr. Storms, welcome to the show. It's good to be with you all today. Been looking forward to this. All well, right. thank you so much. So what we wanted to cover today, if anyone isn't familiar with Dr. Storms, his uh, his videos online, his sermons, his preaching on end time eschatology has just helped me, has ministered to me mm-hmm. for years now. Uh, and I, I emailed him and I said, boy, I would love for you to come on and maybe just give us some foundational information on end time eschatology. I have always said probably one of my weakest points when I when I go through the Bible. It's, it's something that I had ignored for uh, a little bit uh, and just thought, well, maybe it's not that important. And the Lord just really convicted me and said, no, to, to know that eschatology is to know me and you really need to dig in. So before we get into that, for our listeners, doctor, could you just give maybe a little five minute bio of who you are and, and how the Lord saved you and, and you know, just kind of introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Well, I was raised Southern Baptist, um, pretty much a in Southern Baptist churches uh, all through my early years up through college. I went to the University of Oklahoma, and when I left, uh, when I graduated from OU, I uh, went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and it was pretty much about the second semester of my first year there that I uh, started attending uh, something other than a Southern Baptist church. Uh, so I did a four-year THM at Dallas. Um, I uh, got my Ph.D. at the University of Texas at Dallas, in intellectual history, um, pastored in a in a couple of churches there in the Dallas area for twelve years. Um, then we uh, moved to Ardmore, Oklahoma. I pastored there for eight years, and then from there to Kansas City, and then from there I went to Wheaton College and uh, mm-hmm. taught theology at Wheaton College for four years. Back to Kansas City again, and I, I established uh, Enjoying God Ministries. And uh, just for the sake of listeners, uh, uh, pretty much everything that I have written. Largely, I say I don't know what percentage it would be, but uh, largely is available for free on my website. So if you just go to samstorms.org, dot um, org, you can find it there and make use of it any way you see fit. Um, and then in 2008, uh, came to Oklahoma City, and I've, <clears throat> I've been the senior pastor here at Bridgeway Church for the last 
uh, coming on 12 years in August now. So, um, I, uh, I got saved when I was about nine years old. I've been, in fact, my wife and I just celebrated our 48th wedding anniversary. So that oh, dates congratulations. me. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, <clears throat> congratulate her that she's endured me that long. <laughs> <clears throat> Have two, two daughters, um, four grandchildren and, um, yeah, so I'm just, I'm loving being here in Oklahoma city and staying busy, writing books and, Especially during this uh, pandemic, I've been able to get a lot of writing done, so sure. that's been rewarding. So, did you grow up Baptist then in that denomination? Yes, yes, yeah. I grew up Southern Baptist, pretty much um, straight down the line Southern Baptist in Oklahoma and Texas for uh, uh, all my years until I went to Dallas Seminary. Yeah, it's funny up here in Michigan. Uh, there's a lot of non-denominational churches, and I think we find this across the country as well. They're non-denominational, but in my area and growing up in church, uh, when when I got older, I went, oh, they're they're really basically Baptist churches. Right. <laughs> they they hold to all the same doctrines and dogma, if you will. Uh, so I always found it funny when they would say we're non-denominational, but I said, boy, you. <laughs> You act like a <laughs> yeah. I guess if you yeah. if you walk like a Baptist and talk like a Baptist, you might be a Baptist. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Bridgeway Church, uh, we're Baptistic in our theology. In other words, we practice believers' baptism, mm. uh, but we are non-denominational. Uh, we're not sure. affiliated with any denomination. We are a part of the Acts Twenty Nine network, so yes. um, it, it's worked well for us. We're happy there, and, and we're flourishing. Yeah, and that Acts Twenty Nine. Uh, network. That's an that's another uh, pastor who just ministered to me from afar, uh, Matt Chandler. Uh, yep. And what they've what you guys have done just over the last five years, the way you plant churches. I mean, it's a whole nother subject, but even how you become a member at one of those churches, the accountability, the yeah. discipleship. Boy, it's everything that, <laughs> that I would we love should to be. I would love to see in our local churches here right. in in uh, Southern Michigan. I think the the closest one to me is about uh, fifty or sixty miles. Mm-hmm away maybe a little closer in ann arbor michigan but um yeah great work you guys have been doing there so let's jump into some terms you know i i'm a i'm 30 how old am i 38 30 i'll be 39 next month You're or 39 two months. yeah okay so i'm an 80s kid and it's funny because uh i grew up on uh and uh, on the uh pre-trib pre-trib yep, yep and the left behind left series behind, yeah right i learned all my end time eschatology from kurt cameron and all my spiritual warfare from frank Peretti. That's what <laughs> it seemed like. That's what that's what happened in the eighties into the nineties with churches. So uh, that's what I grew up on it on a on a pre trib raptures coming and uh, end, end times are near. Get ready, we're going to be raptured up out of here. And then it was very confusing for me as a as a child because it was like, well, okay, are we raptured? But then there's still people left, and then do they get a second chance to believe? And yeah. I just never really found all that in the Bible when I was reading it. So it was very confusing to me. So could we maybe, uh, doctor, go through some terminology? Define some terms, yeah. Maybe define yeah. some terms sure. of, you know, difference between preterism and amillennialism and, 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 all, and all those. And I'll let you, uh, dealer's choice on which one you want to start with, and maybe just give us a little overview for the listeners. Sure. Well, my history is very much uh, like yours. Uh, I was raised in, believing in the pre-tribulational rapture. Uh, I was a dispensationalist and a premillennialist, so maybe I ought to define those terms. Sure. Uh, this dispensationalism is a way of interpreting Scripture that pr- places primary emphasis on a pretty solid and rigid distinction between Israel and the church. God has two covenant peoples. They have two different um, 
uh, uh, sets of promises and therefore will inherit differently in the age to come. Um, and part and parcel of the dispensational view is, is the pre-tribulation rapture, this notion that the great tribulation, to use the language that um, Jesus used in Matthew 24, uh, is a yet future seven-year period and that the church, all living believers, will be translated out of the earth, will be raptured prior to the outbreak of that period of time, um, and then Christ will return seven years later at his second coming to destroy his enemies. Uh, and at that time, according to the view that I held for many years, he will set up um, a literal 1,000-year reign upon the earth centered in Jerusalem, uh, and at the end of that, uh, he will uh, bring about what we call the great white throne or final judgment, and that will lead into uh, the new heavens and the new earth. So it's the language is dispensational, strong distinction between Israel and the church, mm. two different peoples, two different purposes, a pre-tribulation rapture, and a premillennial return of Christ. So Christ returns before the 1,000-year earthly reign. So that's the view that I embraced. It's the view that Dallas Seminary uh, still teaches to this day. And it was while I was at Dallas that I began to uh, have some doubts about those views. Sure. Uh, it began uh, in a course on the Greek exegesis of the book of Ephesians. Uh, we were randomly assigned paragraphs in Ephesians uh, to write our term paper on, and I was given... I think it's by the providence of God, uh, Ephesians 2, 11 to the end of the chapter. And that's the passage that talks about um, how God has removed this barrier between Jew and Gentile and how Gentile believers are now fellow citizens and uh, um co-heirs uh, in the commonwealth of Israel, now heirs to the promises, the same promises given to Israel are now inherited by believing Gentiles. And so my dispensational views began to erode in light of that passage, and of course other texts as well that began to, um, uh, to lead me away from the dispensational view. And then about the same time, um, there were a couple of books that came out. One was by Robert Gundry, Mm -hmm. um, called The Church and the Tribulation, and he argued very persuasively for a post-tribulation rapture, that the church will, in fact, be on the earth during this period of time. Um, and in George Ladd's book, The Blessed Hope, uh, other books uh, began to you know circulate on the Dallas campus, and we had some pretty lively debates, and maybe I should say some sinful arguments instead of lively <laughs> debates, but uh, it became pretty intense. Um by the time I graduated, um, I had become uh, non-dispensational and post-tribulational in my view of the rapture. Um, and then the millennial issue uh, came to the forefront. And for the next several years, I began to examine um, the millennial issue because I largely we had been taught that if that any view other than premillennialism was a slippery slope into theological liberalism. Yes, and people who didn't b believe it basically just simply didn't take the Bible for uh, precisely what it says. And so I began to re-examine that and began to read some really solid um, amillennial authors. And uh, over to, basically what happened was um, I, I conducted a study of everything the New Testament said that will happen at the second coming of Christ. Right. And I was, I, it was a real, if I can use this word in a, in a right way, it was a real revelation to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, I realized what my premillennial convictions entailed. And I don't know how, it, it, probably most of the people listening to this are premillennial. Yeah. And uh, I suddenly realized 
If I'm premillennial, I have to believe that physical death will continue to exist beyond the time of Christ's second coming. Right. Because premillennials believe that people will die physically during the millennium. That was confusing right. for uh, me as, as right. a young Christian. Yeah. And I also realized I had to believe that the natural creation will continue to be subjected to the curse imposed by the fall beyond the time of the second coming. Um, I had to believe that the new heavens and the new earth would not be inaugurated until 1,000 years after the second coming. I also uh, realized that to be premillennial, I had to believe that men and women could still come to saving faith in Christ after the second coming. I had to believe that um, unbelievers will not be resurrected until 1,000 years after the second coming. And I had to believe that unbelievers would not be judged and cast into the lake of fire until 1,000 years after the second coming. Now, having said all that, there are probably people who are nodding their head and saying, well, yeah, right. (laughs) But then I suddenly realized, no, wrong. (laughs) Uh, Because um, in, in my study of the second coming, I realized that none of that can happen. Physical death ends at the second coming. Right. And the natural creation is delivered from the curse at the second coming. And the new heavens and new earth is inaugurated at the second coming. And all hope for salvation ends when Christ returns and unbelievers will be resurrected and judged and cast into the lake of fire at the time of the second coming. So all the things that that a premillennialist must believe, I found to be precluded by what the New Testament says happens when Christ returns to the earth. So um, this forced me to, to re-examine you know, Revelation, especially chapter 20, and I came to, uh, to embrace what's called the amillennial view, which and, and people say, oh, so you don't believe in a millennium? I said, of course I do. It's right, right. there in Revelation 20. Mm. I just believe that Revelation 20 is describing what is going on currently in what we call the intermediate state. Yes. Um, the intermediate state, that's what the Christians, if, if you die, if you die the coronavirus and you're a believer in Jesus, you enter into the intermediate state. It's intermediate because it's in between uh, the current uh, existence we have on earth and the time of the final resurrection. Correct. And I believe that Revelation 20 was describing uh, the reign of Christ over the world, over the nations, uh, during this time that we call the inter-advent age, between the, the exaltation of Jesus in the first century and his second coming at the close of history. And that believers who die enter into that reign with Christ, and they share his dominion. Uh, they are co-regents, as it were. So I do believe in a millennium. I just don't believe it's describing a literal 1,000 years on the earth. I believe it's describing the entire current age of Christ's rule from the right hand of the Father um, between the, his first and second comings. And, so, and, and isn't there some textual, sorry to interrupt, isn't there some textual uh, evidence for that as well when we look at that word thousand year? Uh, I know throughout the, the Bible, there's other uh, places where oh, yeah. when a thousand is used, it's almost meaning a so, span of time, kind of like even in, well, Genesis, obviously, Hebrew. sheep. But, or a thousand, well, I, in know? fact, I don't know how fact, we get that literal thousand. Yeah, I'm fairly well persuaded that there's not a, there's not a single instance in the Bible, Old and New Testament, where the word, where the number 1,000 is to be taken literally, as if you can mark it off on a calendar. Yeah. It's always symbolic. Right. You know, the cattle on a thousand hills mm-hmm. belong to the Lord. Uh, um, you know, so it's... It, one it day is, is like always, a thousand years to God, yeah. yeah. Right. And especially in the book of Revelation, that is is almost entirely symbolic and figurative. Now, people immediately say, oh, you don't believe Revelation is true? Yes, I do. Yep, <laughs> of yeah. course, I believe everything in the Bible is true. But not everything is literally true. A lot of it is symbolically true and figuratively true. 
You know, we say, is Jesus literally a shepherd? No. Is he literally the door? No. Um, but, but those figures of speech, those metaphors describe something that is true, but it uses a variety of different kinds of language to express that truth. So I embraced uh, the amillennial view. Um, the, there's also a view called post-millennialism. Okay, and the, pri- the primary difference between the amill and the post-mill view, and it, it, it really is the only difference, is that the post-millennialist believes that the, the Holy Spirit, working through the power of the gospel and the ministry of the church, will gradually transform uh, society uh, to be reorganized or renewed according to Christian principles, and that when Christ returns at the end of history, he will come back to a largely Christianized world. Um, they don't believe that every single person will be saved, but they do believe the vast majority will come to saving faith in Jesus before the uh, return of Christ. So basically the difference between Amil and post-mill is that the post-millennialist believes that this millennial kingdom will emerge progressively on the earth through the ministry of the church and the power of the gospel, and that things will gradually improve. The amillennialist uh, at least shares this with most pre-mills, uh, says that, it, that things are going to gradually deteriorate. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be great spiritual flourishing in the church. It just means that broadly based society, uh, government, uh, educational systems, um, institutions, political parties will uh, will progressively deteriorate until Christ comes back to defeat his enemies. So those are the three views, pre-mill, amill, post-mill. And then there's one other view that, um, that I gradually came to embrace, and it needs careful definition because people get confused by this. There's a view called preterism, and preterism uh, in its full and uh, uh, expression basically argues that all biblical prophecy was consummated and fulfilled by 70 AD in the first century, that with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, that this was the promised second coming of Christ. His coming was uh, was a spiritual coming in judgment, and that the resurrection and the inauguration of the new heavens and the new earth and the judgment of both believer and unbeliever happened then. Um, I, I think full preterism, as I've just defined it, is is borderline heretical. <laughs> Maybe I need to remove the word borderline. <laughs> but I am what would be called a partial preterist. And what I mean by that is, I believe that um, the Olivet Discourse, and we call it because it's the discourse Jesus delivered on the Mount of Olives. Christians can read, you can go read it in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. I believe that virtually everything in the Olivet Discourse has already been fulfilled and that Jesus wasn't prophesying primarily about the end of human history. He was prophesying about the end of the Jewish age and the consummate judgment brought against Israel in 70 AD. Um, Now, having said that, there is still the possibility that what Jesus is describing in Matthew 24, that primarily refers to the events from about 33 AD to 70 AD, are providing us with what we might call a blueprint for what will happen on a global scale at the end of history. In other words, I'll try to simplify this. In other words, what Jesus was describing on a local microcosmic scale in the first century provides us with a pattern for what will happen on a global macrocosmic scale at the end of human history. 
that's still a possibility. I, I'm not totally convinced by it, but I'm open to being persuaded. Sure. So I'm a partial preterist in that I say that a great deal of what we read in the New Testament, and especially in the Olivet Discourse, has already been fulfilled. So that leads to, and I'll say one more thing, and then I'll shut up and let you all ask questions. <laughs> oh, no, go, go um, on. This is awesome. I'm, I'm loving this. <laughs> I'm at church right now. We're great, right? Oh, it's amazing. That leads to um, a conclusion that, a lot of your listeners are going to probably uh, scream in, in rebellion against when I say this. <laughs> okay, here we go. The, Get ready. The, <laughs> the great tribulation to which Jesus refers in Matthew 24 has already come and gone. Sure. The great tribulation to which he made reference um, actually referred to the events in about 67 to 70 AD and are explicitly um, applicable to what happened in Jerusalem when uh, the city was surrounded by the Roman armies led by Titus, and the city and the temple were utterly and absolutely destroyed. And what took place in the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and I go into great detail on this in my book, Kingdom Come, uh, was, was in all likelihood the most horrific concentrated expression of, of uh, tribulation, trial, and pain and suffering that human history has ever known. And I think that is what Jesus was referring to when he talked about the great tribulation. So the implication of that is people then say, Oh, wait a minute, Sam. So you don't believe there's going to be a future seven year time of great tribulation. And I say, well, there might be, but it might be seven months or seven days or seven weeks, or it might be 140 months. Or I don't believe the Bible specifies a specific time period. But I do believe the Bible says that as we approach the second coming of Jesus, there is going to be increased and intensified global persecution of the church. It will be a time of great tribulation, make no mistake. But the great tribulation is is an accomplished fact of past history. So I'm not denying that there's going to be a really bad season that's going to transpire just before the coming of Jesus. I believe there is. Maybe we're in it, I don't know. You know, it's, it's interesting. I when, when we talk about this, um, my guess is a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters on the other side of the globe cringe when they hear it. Right. People in the Sudan, people in India, people in North Korea, our brothers and sisters who have been horrifically, uh, people in Nigeria, yes. people who have been horrifically persecuted, tortured, arrested, um, lost all their property, uh, executed. And, and they would say to us, Wait a minute. You're you're afraid that that you're going to suffer persecution sometime in the future. Come live where I do. Yeah, right. I think it's an, an incredible offense yeah. to the suffering church globally that we would cower in fear over um, you know deteriorating conditions in our society. They have experienced tribulation to the max. Yeah, um, in ways that you and I can't even begin to envision. Um, so all that to say. Will there be an increased global persecution of the church as we approach the end of, of, of this age? Yes. But I don't believe that's the great tribulation that Jesus was talking about. Yeah. So no. maybe I should, uh, so, so if people say, so we're going to be on this earth when, when, um, this massive, uh, persecution of the church occurs. Yes, we will. Yes. Um, and at the end of that time, when Christ returns at the, at what we call the parousia or the second coming, 
there will be a rapture. All living saints will be translated and caught up to be with the Lord. First Thessalonians 4 describes this. But we will continue with Christ as he descends to the earth to judge um, his enemies and to establish the new heavens and the new earth. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Covenant Real Estate. And why not? It's my podcast and my real estate company. But seriously, I've absolutely enjoyed helping clients buy, sell, and invest in real estate over the last 12 years. My brokerage serves clients in Michigan and Ohio, with more states coming soon. When I started this brokerage, I wanted to ensure that my expertise and knowledge would serve every one of my clients. I take my fiduciary responsibility to my clients very seriously. That's why I named it Covenant Real Estate. Not only is a covenant a contract in the legal sense, but it's also a solemn promise from myself to each of my clients. I will do my absolute best to serve you. It's also pretty cool that our name has some theological implications as well, which is a great conversation starter. And here's the best part. My agents and I have extensive experience in helping people buy and sell residential homes, buy and sell commercial properties, as well as investing in real estate and selling and purchasing recreational and vacant land. Covenant Real Estate can help you with all of your real estate needs, and I would love the opportunity to earn your business. So if you have real estate needs in Michigan or Ohio, call me at 734-731-GREG. That's 734-731-GREG. Or click on the link in the description of this podcast episode you're listening to right now. Remember, Covenant Real Estate. Confidence from contract to close. Yeah. Wow. That's so I'm, good. I'm Amil now. I'm, <laughs> that's all it took. That's all it took, huh? I'm partial preterist. It was uh, 20 minutes okay. with, with <laughs> Dr. <Storms>. Solid. To- <laughs> well, you know, that, that makes so much sense. And when you say template, that that in my mind, that, that makes sense. Because when I, when I go macro on the Bible and I look at the life of Jesus and I look at the covenant God that we serve, uh, it, it really makes no sense. Uh, when you kind of have a halfway Jesus, well, I'm coming back and then, but I'm also waiting seven years, but uh, there's still going to be people that, you know, can, can be saved and maybe they have a second chance. I, I see a God and a Jesus that when they, when he does something, he does something completely mm-hmm. and, and for once. And then also, isn't that a parable? I mean, a, a parable is talking about uh, a story that might not specifically be happening, but you're going to have examples like it. So when right. you say, uh, Dr. Storms, when you say template, that makes total sense to me to where in Matthew, when he's saying, yes, there's going to be this uh, actual physical destruction of the temple, right? And I mean, it, didn't Jesus walk around going, no, you guys don't get it. I am the temple. Right. I, you know, it makes sense to me that we're talking about the Jewish age ending uh, and the church being obviously gra- grafted into that. And, and then you have that backed up with, you know, books, books upon books uh, uh, of Paul telling, <laughs> telling us that and the disciples telling us that. Um, yes. So, so for example, you know, uh, you know, Jesus talks about, you know, they said, you know, how are we going to know when the end comes? And he says, well, don't get, don't panic. There are a lot of things that are going to happen first. Remember, he talks about um, wars, rumors of wars, mm-hmm. uh, nation rising against nation, famines, earthquakes. Um, those are just the beginning of birth pangs. And he says, tribulation, uh, they'll put you, they'll uh, bring you up in front of the courts. You'll be hated on all, uh, 
for my sake, uh, before all people, yes, that occurred in AD 33 to 70, and it's been thoroughly documented. I documented it in my book. But yes, it also is true of the period from 70 AD up to the present day. Uh, the same uh, events, the same kinds of scenarios, earthquakes, tribulation, war, persecution of believers, sure. lawlessness, uh, all of that has been ongoing throughout the entire course of the church age. So, but Jesus was talking specifically about the the, the conditions uh, within the land of Israel leading up to the destruction of the city and temple in 70 AD. But yes, it does apply uh, in a kind of a secondary application to what's been going on for the last 2,000 years. So then let's shift a little bit uh, into, well, you did explain a millennialism. So let me maybe uh, do a deep dive into that. So, you know, like I said, I grew up in the, like when you're on the Left Behind series, you're talking Mark of the Beast, and it's about yeah. computers, and it's getting a uh, microchip, getting in a your microchip, hand. and the Antichrist. Where, where do those kind of, uh, you know, and you said earlier, Revelation is uh, literal in some sense and figurative in some sense. Is that am I summing that up correctly, or do you think it's all figurative? Uh, no, there's there are some literal elements there, right. but certainly, but. But Revelation is a is a unique genre or type of literature. You don't read Revelation the way you read Romans. Right. Uh, Revelation is not this this airtight logical building of an argument. Um, it, it's a it's kind of a, a it's a circular book in the sense that it it recapitulates the the whole period of history between the two comings of Christ. But we don't going to get delayed or d- deterred there. Go on and ask your question. What was, well, what was your question going to well, be? So, so those type of things where those are, uh, you know, Mark of the Beast, Antichrist, sure. those type of things that are very prevalent in a certain type of eschatology, like, uh, you know, rapture-heavy, you know, pre-mill type of eschatology, where does that fit in for, let's sure. say, someone who's exploring a millennial? Sure. Um, first of all, let me just say a little bit about the beast. Uh, it's, imp- it's important. Most A lot of Christians don't realize this. But the word Antichrist does not appear anywhere in the book of Revelation. Mm. It only appears in the Johannine literature, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. The beast in Revelation is primarily, in my opinion, a, a, an image or a metaphor of all opposition to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. In other words, um, you look at our society today and you look at governmental institutions, political agendas, philosophies, education, um, the the, um, the radical uh, abortion industry, sure. uh, the undermining of sexual ethics, um, all of the various expressions of belief and practice that are opposed to the person and work of Jesus and his kingdom, that collectively is the beast. Yeah. Uh, the beast is... Are, are nations, politicians, philosophies, uh, educational agendas, um, financial institutions, anything that seeks to oppose and undermine the kingdom of Christ and the work of the local church. That is the beast of Revelation. Mm. That beast has been very much in existence and operative uh, throughout the, the history of mankind. I mean, it was described, um, you know, in terms of those kingdoms in the book of Daniel. Uh, it's been ongoing throughout the whole present age. Now, the question is, and I don't have a really, I'm going to disappoint you here because I don't have a definitive answer. <laughs> the question is, will there be a singular individual, a human being, who embodies all of that 
opposition to the kingdom of Christ who will emerge at the end of the age that we then call the Antichrist. I'm open to being persuaded that that's the case. I'm not entirely convinced by it. Uh, The only place, you know, there are a couple of places where it seems to allude to that. 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, 1 John um, chapter 2. But, and I'm open to that because the, um, there were two prior examples of the Antichrist, or what we call the abomination of desolation. There was a man called Antiochus Epiphanes in the middle of the second century BC who uh, ransacked Jerusalem and desecrated the temple. He is explicitly called the abomination of desolation. Then Titus, the Roman general um, in, uh, in 70 AD, was another embodiment of this principle. So maybe there will be one individual who emerges who will, in a sense, uh, lead this global uh, uh, persecution against the Church of Jesus Christ. I'm open to being persuaded of that. I'm just not entirely convinced of it. In fact, I don't see it in Revelation. I see it maybe in Second Thessalonians 2, 1 John 2, but not in Revelation. Now, so what is the mark of the beast? Well, the mark of the beast is not a tattoo. It's not an embedded computer chip. It's not a special credit card that you're going to have to have in order to buy and sell and conduct commerce. Yeah. The mark of the beast is an image designating your loyalty to the opposition to the kingdom of Christ. See, here's what people need to realize is there's not just a mark of the beast. There's also the mark of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 7, uh, we are told that um, there will be people who have the seal of the living God upon them. Uh, on their foreheads. For example, um, Revelation 7, verse 3 said, Don't harm the earth, uh, the sea, and so on, until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. So let me ask people who are listening. Do you believe that Christians are going to have a mark of the true Christ tattooed on their foreheads or embedded as a computer chip in their hands? Right. Well, of course not. What he's talking about there is this is an image designed to communicate the idea that we are loyal to Jesus. We follow Christ. We confess him as Savior. We are dedicated uh, to the principles of his kingdom. The mark of the beast is a demonic or a satanic counterfeit of the mark of the people who follow Christ. And it simply means people who are loyal to the opposite side, who are loyal to Satan, who are loyal to the the uh, institutions that oppose the church of Jesus. Uh, it, it's not a literal tattoo or mark or anything of that sort. It's a way of describing their allegiance to the opposition of the kingdom of Christ, whether that's a corporate institution, whether it's an individual, that to me is of secondary significance. Right. So so that's the mark of the beast. That's the beast. That's the mark. It's basically, you know, it, it basically saying, I am loyal to, I follow everything that is opposed to the kingdom of Christ. So not necessarily um, a physical marking, but no, but, but no. would be visible in action or allegiance by yeah. another observer. Well, it, it reminds yeah, me well, of uh, Deuteronomy 6. Yeah. Um, it's how you live. Right. It's how you live. Right. It's, it's, it's the allegiance of your heart. It's the, it's the ethical system that, that, that you live by. Are you going to live according to the principles of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Or are you going to live in accordance with the kingdom, the principles of the kingdom of Satan? That's basically it. And uh, th- this idea of a mark or an image, a tattoo or whatever you want to call it, was simply a way of describing in very vivid terms whose kingdom you belong to. Right. I, do you um, do you uh, 
think that Nero may have been the beast at, at all? Is uh, oh I sure, mean, the, yeah, the, absolutely. You know the 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 number six six six. When you spell out uh, Nero, yeah, I think Nero. I think Nero was very much in John's mind, and he used him as something of, if we can say it again, a template or a pattern uh-huh. or a prototype of of the beast. It's not just Nero; uh, it's also uh, Diocletian, who uh, persecuted Christians in the third century. Gotcha. Uh, it's also the beast is also Arius, who denied the deity of Christ. The beast was Machiavelli. The beast was eighteenth yeah. um, uh, century deism. Uh, the beast is, um, you know, so is gosh, the, we could give Darwinian evolutionary theory. Sure. The beast is uh, higher critical uh, scholars who uh, try to undermine the authority and the integrity of the Bible. Any form of opposition to the principles of God's word and the kingdom of Christ is an expression of the beast. So, the, so it's almost along the same lines as the Antichrist is. So then they're not two separate entities. Are you saying? No, they're not two separate entities. Um, I don't mind using the terminology of Antichrist, Uh but, you know, John says in 1 John, there are many Antichrists. Right, right. And, uh, and of course, what what he's talking about is when he gets to chapter, in chapters 2 and 4, anybody who denies that Jesus Christ is the incarnate Son of God in the flesh is an Antichrist. Right. Now, will there be one final individual embodiment that we call Antichrist? Maybe so. Um... I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't. Um, but the beast of Revelation, again, as I said, is any expression of the kingdom of Satan in opposition to the to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Which your, you know, what you've talked about uh, that I've been watching over the last few years, and obviously in your book Kingdom Come, it made so much sense to me. Uh, what you know, growing up in in the theology that I did to where, you know, God is uh, saying, you know, this is, it's a heart issue. It's it's your obedience. It's, you know, it's, it's this uh, allegiance to me. And then we have an interpretation of revelation that says, oh, no, 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 no. You just don't have to get this mark. And it's going to be this one guy. And I would read that as a, as a younger Christian and say that it doesn't seem to jive with the rest of the Bible with me. I mean, if, even if I'm on the fence or not regenerated or a you know, secularist, and I just go, you know, I'm not going to take a, a, a chip or a tattoo to avoid maybe possibly this being true. It, it almost seemed too easy. I know that's probably not the right term, mm. but but it just seems, first of all, Satan is a deceiver, right? Right. And, and it just seemed that it didn't jive with the rest of well, there's, of, of there's the Bible. a lot so the way of he things explains this is, is making sense. We were, we were taught as, as kids, you know, um, in the, in the pre-trib yeah. <laughs> situation, you know, uh, there were going to be a, a pot, Apache helicopters you can find in, in revelation, you, <laughs> yeah, you know, there's yeah. going to be, you know, rivers of blood and, and, uh, you know, blood, red moons and, and all this different stuff. I mean, um, you know, it just got to a point where I was just like, okay, I, this all seems so you, you can't really find all these verses within the scripture. Um, and you have to twist a lot of things just to come up with this, this type of eschatology. Yeah. Um, Right. I, 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 I preached through revelation, um, last year and uh, I think I think it's 35 or 40 messages. Oh, wow. And the one thing that is that that available by the way. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's available on his website. Oh, sweet. I will. Oh yeah. It's very, you, you can find it in one of two places. You can either go to my website, samstorms.org mm-hmm. and look under sermons under resources it'll say sermons or you can go to my church website bridgewaychurch.com 
and under a sermon podcast, and you can watch them. They've been videoed. You can listen to them. Nice. And furthermore, all of the notes, uh, the, the manuscript of my sermons are all available, not at my personal website, but at the church website. And you can get all the notes and download them and use them. Awesome. Um, but, but what I discovered was, is that virtually all of these graphic images of these horrific things happening throughout the course of history and and especially as we approach the second coming are descriptive of demonic activity uh you know the the locusts and the 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 weird looking beasts and the frogs and all these other things that these are various descriptive metaphors pointing to increased demonic activity uh which i think anybody with any sense of discernment can look around our world right now right and if you don't see the 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 proliferation and intensification of Satan's kingdom at work, then I don't think I could convince you of anything. And I think that's what Revelation is largely describing. Yeah, sadly, I think that's lost on us in, in Western Christianity, especially in the United States, because we live in a country of such uh, blessing, abundance, freedom, and liberty. Uh, just a few episodes ago, I was kind of half-joking and saying, you know, 10,000 Christians slaughtered in China uh, yeah. last year. And uh, we're over here complaining because we had to bake a cake for someone. Now, I don't agree, but, you know, our, our bake the cake goes right to the Supreme Court, the highest right. law in the land over a religious freedom. And yet in other countries, Christians are being executed, tortured, martyred. Uh, and like you said, doctor, earlier, it's a slap in the face when, right. when, when we say, oh, there's going to be persecution. Things are going to get worse it's, and worse. It's, it's, and it's bad worse. now. It's Look, like sin has always yeah. been here. This yeah. is a fallen world. I tell people that all, I mean, look at Rome. I mean, Rome would take little children and, and sew uh, bearskin onto their backs and then, you know, try to splice DNA and do all kinds of weird stuff throughout history that we've seen. I mean, sin is here. Um, and you're absolutely right, doctor, too, when, when you just look at the world around us and how it's progressively I mean, even 50 years ago in America, we might have done so, so sin in, the, in secret, but our society as general said, well, no, we're still at least going to uh, try to be somewhat righteous and lawful, right? There were mm -hmm. certain things even in public that you couldn't do, even if we were, you know, giving lip service to God as a country and, and maybe doing them behind closed doors. But now all bets are off. Yeah. I mean, right. you know. By the way, let me just give the, the correct information here. If, if you go to bridgewaychurch.com, Okay. Mm -hmm. You click on uh, resources, and you'll see a little thing that says sermons. You click on sermons, and um, just click on series, for example. And you go down, I'm looking at it here. The series on Revelation is called Revelation Triumph of the Lamb. Okay. And um, you just click on that, and, um, you know, I did, gosh, I finished it in June of 2018, and I don't know how many sermons there are. There are like 40 or something. Okay. And like I said, all the, you can watch it, you can listen to it, all the notes are there, you can download, and and um, it, it basically forms a commentary on the book of Revelation that's basically at a layman's level, so I think people will uh, be able to really benefit from that. It's actually right on uh, Google, um, right under Bridgeway Church, it says uh, Revelation, Triumph of the Lamb, and you can click right on yep, it. Yep, there it is. So, yeah, yeah you find it in a variety of ways. Oh, that's great. That's super. Cool. So besides some of the books that kind of, uh, you know, influenced your views, what were some of the particular Bible verses that lend you to amillennialism? I know we touched on a few of them, and I know we touched on Matthew 24 for partial preterism, uh, but was it just, was it textual evidence? Was it just kind of looking at the Bible uh, in a macro sense and seeing well, that it all fit together with that type of eschatology? What were some of the key well, things if someone is searching and saying, well, okay, that's great. He read some books and he has these 
theories. What biblical evidence are you leaning towards uh, with that sure. type of eschatology? Well, I would come back to um, what I said at the very beginning. Those passages that describe what happens at the second coming of Christ, in my opinion, make impossible right. the idea that there would be a thousand years of extended history on the earth between the second coming and the introduction of the uh, of the eternal state. So I would direct people to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through uh, 25, which, which ties the uh, deliverance of the natural creation from its curse to the redemption of the bodies of believers when Jesus Christ comes back. Um, I would send people to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul very clearly says that at the second coming of Christ, the last enemy, which is physical death, will be swallowed up. Uh-huh. Um, or he also says that, uh, uh, you know, so that's very significant. Then I, I would take people to uh, uh, Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. Once again, the passage that I think tells us that the church of Jesus Christ is the true Israel of God in which there are believing Jews and believing Gentiles. Um, I would go to, um, oh, uh, second Thessalonians chapter one, for example, where Paul talks about at the second coming of Christ, um, those who reject Jesus, those who, uh, do not believe are at that time suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. It's not a thousand years later after this millennium, but it's at the time of the second coming. Um, how long has the thousand, gosh, me, how long has the thousand year uh, reign theology been around? Do you know off the top of your head where where that was established? Yeah, um, I, I actually have a, a yeah, I have a chapter in my book Kingdom Come where I talk about the millennial debate in history, mm. and um, there were in um, the early church, and by that I mean probably in the second century, third century, a few people who advocated premillennialism. Um, and advocated for this earthly reign, they were the minority, contrary to what a lot of people think. Uh, I think amillennialism is fair, is very clearly documented in the writings of the church fathers, and I give all the documentation of this in my um, uh, in my book. Um, but really, from about the fourth century, from the time of Saint Augustine up until the time of the Reformation and post-Reformation period, for about the next uh, thousand to eleven hundred years, the amillennial view was the dominant position. In the mm. in the Reformation and post-Reformation period, post-millennialism took over. The Puritans were largely post-millennial, huh. um, and then premillennialism and kind of the dispensational variety really emerged in full force in the middle of the 19th century with a man named John Nelson Darby. And it took root in uh, England, and it uh, began to grow in America in the early years of the 20th century, so, you know, 1900 to 1930 or so. And then, of course... you know, with the establishment of several schools like Dallas Seminary, uh, Grace Theological Seminary, um, Talbot Seminary, uh, many of these schools, most of the Southern Baptist uh, seminaries as well. It, it, and this is a this is a sad thing. I, I just I, I I wish it were not the case. But what happened was the dispensational, pre-tribulational, premillennial view became identified with Christian orthodoxy. So yeah, okay. if you were not an advocate of that particular eschatology, oh, that must mean you don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. You don't believe in the deity of Jesus. You don't believe he was born of a virgin. He was raised from the dead. 
and of course that that was very sad but that was the way it was portrayed uh, and anybody who held a different view as i said earlier was 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 kind of uh, labeled as being liberal and not a real true bible believer yeah and then of course um this this predates you guys but i was very much alive when it happened the summer of 1970 was when everything really um came to a head with the publication of Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth. Oh, yeah. um, I was uh, in between my freshman and sophomore years of college when that book came out. It was, at least until the Left Behind series came out, it was the best-selling uh, book in America outside the Bible itself. It sold, I think, over 35 million copies in its wow. history. Um, and, and Lindsay uh, popularized the pre-tribulational, pre-millennial view. And then, of course, as you all have even mentioned, the Left Behind series just <laughs> it took it to the moon. Yeah, um, and and that series of books just indoctrinated people of this escapist mentality like, well, thank you, Jesus. We're, you're going to come and get us out of here before it gets too bad. Um, and that, that Left Behind series, I think, kind of solidified the whole perspective that we've been yeah. talking about. So yeah, um, s- it's been around it, it, pretty much in various pockets throughout history, but never was really widely disseminated until the middle of the 19th and into the middle of the 20th century. Gotcha. I, I literally remember asking my youth pastor, uh, you know, if, if Jesus is just going to come and take us all before it gets bad, why didn't he take all, all the martyrs? We just learned about all these martyrs and people dying and persecutions. What, what makes us so special? And he didn't really have a good answer for me. So even from a young age, it was very hard for me to accept these kind of things that I was taught. And I absolutely agree with you, doctor, that I grew up in a church to where if you weren't pre-trib rapture, uh, you weren't a Christian. What heresy are you talking about? I I mean, it was pounded into my head and it took me, you know, eight or nine years to unwind that and, and and pray about it and dig into the word and just say, Lord, show me the truth. And, and, and it does it, you know, growing up in that and then tell and saying, no, you, you can't be a Christian unless you have this type of eschatology. And and then, well, you know, my church doesn't have very good biblical backing for it. People get really upset. I watched you. Let me go on record. Let me go on record and say one thing. Very, very important to all of the people listening to this. Hmm. If you know, Jesus Christ is your Lord and savior. What unites us, is far more important than what divides us. And what Amen. unites us Amen. is our belief that Jesus Christ is coming back personally, physically, and visibly to defeat his enemies and to consummate his kingdom. That's what unites us. That's where we need to, to rally. Um, we, uh, we, that's, where we, that's the truth we need to hold forth. That's you know uh, one of the fundamentals of the faith. I, I don't believe you can have true Christian, biblical Christianity apart from that singular confession that Jesus is coming back. Now, all the other issues we've been discussing, these are secondary matters. It's right. sad that they divide Christians. Some of my very, very best friends in life are dispensational, pre-tribulational, pre-millennial. Some of them are post-mill. Some of them are post-tribulational, pre-millennial. We don't, we don't divide. We don't fight. We, we, we discuss in a very lively way, but as long as we hold collectively to this to our belief in the second coming of Jesus. Um, that's the central 
uh, and most important issue. So I, I just want to make sure that people realize that, that that is it. That's why, for example, you guys just alluded to it. I face the same thing. When I declared my belief in a post-tribulation rapture uh, that we weren't going to be taken out before times get bad, you would have thought I denied the resurrection of Jesus. Right. Uh, people questioned, have, have I lo- has Sam lost his salvation? Right. You know, sir, and I'm not exaggerating. Uh-huh. That, that's not hyperbole. That they really... Which is, a, they, which is people, a whole other point if you can lose your salvation. Yeah. Don't get them yeah, started yeah, yeah. on that. Some right, people, right. Um, for some people, and it's, a, it's an odd phenomenon, I think I understand a little bit of it, but it's really strange. For some people, I say some, maybe many, this idea of a pre-tribulation rapture is as dear and near to their hearts yes. as the deity of Jesus Christ. And yes. it's, it's like if you question that, you have just ripped the heart out of their out of their relationship with God and undermined everything that they hold and cherish uh, dearly. And it, it's really sad. That's the sad part about this whole dispute. And it's what really turned me off for a while from even really digging, in digging into it. Yeah. Because I had such zealous people for one way, and it was if you don't think it's this, then... You know, it's my way or the yeah, highway, essentially. Exa- yeah, exactly. And the- yeah, let, uh, let me give you one quick example. Sure. Um, two very good friends of mine are both premillennialists, uh, Craig Keener and Michael Brown. Mm-hmm. And um, they are, we, I differ with them on other issues of theology, but we are good friends. We love each other. We minister side by side. And they wrote a book recently called Not Afraid of the Antichrist. Huh. And it is the most thorough refutation of this pre-tribulation rapture you will ever read. And I wrote an endorsement for it. Uh, There are certain parts of it that I don't necessarily agree with, but the primary thesis, they go into all the text, all the arguments, and they clearly demonstrate that this pre-tribulation rapture is unbiblical. And, And yet, I differ with them on the issue of the millennium, but that doesn't mean we divide. We we can side by side labor for the gospel and proclaim the coming of Christ in a way that I think is uh, honoring to the Lord Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah. So as we wrap it up here, I just wanted to uh, go back a little bit because you said something that stuck in my mind and you said the post-millennial, they, they have this progressive view of kind of the gospel being shared and spread and, and progressively the kingdom is advanced to when Christ comes back, he comes back to a mostly Christianized world. If I was de- the devil's advocate uh, or if I believe that, what would, what would be my biblical support for that where am i finding that in the bible that says hey it's progressively going to uh you know sure by the way i hope the post-millennialist is right (laughs) right (laughs) we'll call doug wilson i I mean who who would who would who would vote against that i mean the spread of the gospel the majority of people getting saved institutions and structures of society i mean who would be against that i hope they are right amen Uh, i have a whole chapter on post-millennialism in my book kingdom come and i and i um i go into all the texts that they cite many of them are from the psalms and from isaiah but particularly the psalms which talk about uh, all the kings of the earth and all the nations will come and worship the Lord Jesus Christ or the coming Messiah. And they basically say that occurs before his second coming. I think it occurs after his second coming in the new heavens and the new earth. But they would use passages like that. Okay. Um, and uh, there, are, there are many of them in the Old Testament. Psalm I think most of their, yeah, most of their biblical support comes from the Old Testament, largely from the Psalms, uh, okay. some from Isaiah. You know, the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters of the sea. 
Uh, and again, let, let me make a real quick distinction. I won't go into detail, but there are two different kinds of postmillennialism. There is a postmillennial view which says uh, it, it, a, a synonymous word has been called reconstructionism. And what they argue is that society as a whole will be reconstructed in accordance with biblical principles. In other words, a lot of the Mosaic law will come back into play and institutions and law throughout the the globe will be transformed. You know, social structures will be transformed. Another view of postmillennialism says, no, that's not necessarily the case, but the vast majority of people will come to saving faith in Jesus. Society will still be decidedly anti-Christian, but the majority of people in the world will come to faith in Christ before his second coming. So not all post-millennialists believe in this societal reconstruction. Some of them do, some of them don't. So that's an important distinction to keep in mind. Thank you. Yeah. Jason, did you have anything else for... Uh, Man, I have so many questions, right. but I mean, I, I don't want to take up all your time, Dr. Sam. Um, uh, yeah, I... Uh, well, I'll throw one out really quick <laughs> if he wants to... It's kind right. of off subject, but just just on a side note. So do, do you believe... So it's a secondary issue. Let's say someone who believes dispensationalism versus maybe someone who's covenant theology. Uh, but those are secondary issues, but do you believe those type of theologies or beliefs can actually... Uh, kind of influence the way you treat your Christian walk and the way you uh, interact with uh, other believers and non-believers? Well, I certainly do. And I, I think, um, you know, I think perhaps the principal way is one we've already discussed. Yeah. And that is if your highest hope and expectation is to escape persecution, that's going to shape how you live your life. It's going to shape how you, the, the degree of courage and boldness with which you uh, share the gospel. It's going to have an effect on um, uh, your willingness to engage in uh, ministries of the local church that can serve the community, and you know, and it, you know, are you go- are you really going to strive right. uh, for racial reconciliation? And not, I don't like I'm to use the word social justice, for, but for biblical, um, if, if if what you're waiting for and your greatest expectation is Jesus, just come and get me out of here. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to have a pervasive effect on the on the kind of life you live and the decisions you make and how you relate to one another. So, although secondary, still very important. Oh yeah, massively important. Massively Certainly important. Did you have any final words for us, Doctor? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I, I just I just want to make reassure the people who heard this and and are absolutely pulling their hair out. I am not the Antichrist. I, I promise you I am not. <laughs> well, we definitely um, don't think you are. No way. Uh, no. You've been such a blessing to my life personally, um, and I would encourage all of our listeners, anyone listening to this, definitely go out and get Kingdom Come. Uh, definitely go to Dr. Storm's website. Look at that uh, literature and those videos and audio that he has. If you're wanting to dig deeper into this and just want good, biblical, factual uh, teaching, references right? yeah, teaching yeah. um in in the way you explain it is very uh, very easy to digest so i do appreciate you coming on and talking with us and the listeners and j- just kind of giving us a i don't want to say a new view but giving us uh, something to chew on yeah yeah you- this is i mean i i love this i love eschatology 
So, I mean, you know, just going through any of this, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you yeah. for, for hours and hours yeah, and d- ask don't you questions your, about it. Don't give your number to Jason, right, right. doctor. He will be texting right. you at two in the morning about, uh, hey, what about what about Revelation 11? Do you think it happened? Uh, you know, I'm like, hey, what about the- I've written on it. Just go to that church website and I have right, extensive right. notes on Revelation 11. You can find out what I believe. That is awesome. Yeah, and the elements in Second uh, Peter 3.10, it's like, oh, yeah. so, many, sure. so many things you know but anyway, anyway all right we better wrap it up here yeah. before it goes off the rails like it normally <laughs> right, does right. dr sam storms everyone thank you so much for yeah, coming thank on you. it was such a blessing and once again listeners i encourage you go to that website it's samstorms.org correct that's right samstorm.org uh obviously you can find uh sermons and resources for at, well where he preaches and pastors at bridgeway church mm-hmm. and then of course kingdom come such a fantastic book as well doctor thanks for being on the show guys it was great um thanks for having me it's yeah. been a blessing all right guys Definitely. thanks we'll see you next time be sure to follow us on facebook and instagram at dead men walking podcast for full video podcast episodes Episodes and clips, or email us at deadmenwalkingpodcast at gmail.com. None your biscuits. Be sure to check us out at dmwpodcast.com where you can purchase the best and snarkiest merch on the internet, support the show, and leave us a review or message. Dead Men Walking can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Dead Men Walking Podcast and on Twitter X at Real DMW Podcast. The Dead Men Walking Podcast is part of the Fight Laugh Feast Network. For exclusive show content, be sure to download the Pub TV app and become a member. If you're a business that needs to reach hundreds of thousands of potential customers in your demographic, podcast advertising might be for you. Send all inquiries to Dead Men Walking Podcast at gmail.com. None your biscuits.